Thank you, Richard. Thank you, Jana, for leading us in, in worship and song. Great to see you here this morning. It's good to be together and remember all of these things. God's goodness, his love, his commitment to us, his covenant with us. And we've just been reading about it in Psalm 105. And you see that it, it deals with the characters of the stories we've been studying the last few weeks as we uh, study Abraham and Isaac and just see God's ongoing commitment to them and we say this is a commitment that has been forever. This is a commitment that he will have with us as well. So let's just ask the Lord to uh, help us to focus on him this morning, to come before him without distraction and hearts that are open to his message for us this morning. Father, you are a great God. We have seen that. I keep saying in history and in our own history. We've seen how you've been, you have been faithful. And why would we doubt your faithfulness for the future? Why would we doubt your faithfulness today to us and tomorrow and the next day? Because you have shown a commitment. Not always in the way we would understand it. Not always in the way we would want it. But you are faithful and you are good. You're loving, merciful. And so we come to you this morning saying, Lord, directs, direct our thoughts, direct our hearts, our minds back to you. And Lord, may we be encouraged and challenged once again by your faithfulness to live out a faithful love for you in this time. We pray this in your son's name, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, as the story moves forward here in John or John Genesis uh, 24, actually we're spanning 24, the end of 24 into 25 today. But as it, it moves forward, you remember what we have seen. The Lord, uh, through his sovereign planning and his inspired word, doesn't just impress us with his ability to direct history. But what he's doing here is he's communicating to us who he is. He's communicating um, what is important to him, particularly in relationships, his relationship with his people. And we know that we're his people. We know that through Christ, we can claim that. And so this is why we tie these Old Testament stories into the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Because just as God revealed himself in those, those years gone by, ages ago, he continues to reveal himself and finally revealed himself most completely through Jesus Christ. We understand there is one author, not only of this book, but one author over this world, over this relationship that mankind have with him. And so he continues to communicate the same things that are important to us today. I have one word written in here, relevance. God, God's word has relevance to us today. So in this story, we've looked at the character of the bride. We remember Abraham's servant going off in search of a bride for Isaac. We remember uh, him coming to the well and stumbling upon, stumbling upon sovereignly, Rebecca. 
and how that worked out, what he said in his heart to God and how it was perfectly just carried out. And we, we talked about what was exposed there in that time, the character of the bride, her willingness to come, to leave her land, to follow the Lord's calling through the servant, through Isaac, and her willingness to serve too, just in that little uh, thing that was set up between the servant and God, her, her receptivity, as somebody already mentioned, I think Jana, uh, in the service this morning, just the receptivity we need to have, the openness, the willingness to the fact that God wants to work with us. And so we see that in, in her and in the bride, we say, and we recognize we're talking about the bride of Christ here. We're talking about someone who's willing to enter into relationship with God, the church, us as individuals. And it wasn't enough for her just to receive gifts and recognize God's sovereign hand, but she had to respond to a personal proposal, a proposal that was to her. And we know that's what happens with us. We can see all the things that God's doing in the world. We can recognize his hand in history but in the end, every individual, every creature in this world is responsible to respond to God himself, herself, personally and say, yes, you are my God. I will come to you. I will follow you. I will respond to the love that you have reached out to me with. And we need to remember that. In this commitment that Rebecca made, it was a commitment of faith. It was something, she was an unknown, unseen suitor, you know? It was just this servant. Oh, he's a great guy back there. You know, you can trust me on this. And we think, oh man, humanly speaking, would we? Uh, We've become a very skeptical people at best. But God must have been working in her heart because she responded positively. She was willing to respond. And, and we think of that. And we think of, sometimes we just think of it as her leap of faith. Wow, <laughs> what a leap. But we forget God's commitment. We forget everything that God did to show himself. And we could say, you know, in the story Isaac's team, you know, Abraham sending his servant, the servant coming all that way to find her and God bringing things together. And you think, okay, God does this with us. Each one of us who's, who, who's gathered here together, whether you're sitting here now, whether you're watching, everyone who knows the Lord, everyone who has a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you look back in your life and you go, wow, there were a number of things. Sometimes we forget them, don't we? Until someone like me pokes you a little bit and says, remember what God did. Remember his grace. Remember how your life was spinning along seemingly aimlessly, but then you see after the fact how God was directing and moving and, and mercifully loving because you didn't deserve it. And I didn't deserve it. But he did. 
And he was committed. He was committed to us. And she responded, didn't she? Rebecca could have doubted the servant's story. She could have been a little cynical. Uh, This guy's making this up. She could have thought that these gifts that she was given were just just bait. (laughs) You know, just bringing her into the trap. And not that they were an honest show of the stability of this guy who was offering her relationship and a sign of how she would be cared for in the future. And so she had to respond to God's commitment of love, or to Isaac's commitment of love for her. And it was God's offer. And we need to respond to God's offer. We need to not doubt. Oh, what would have happened if Rebecca had doubted? If she had taken the, the bracelets as parting gifts and ran from the well and not gone. The story probably wouldn't have been in here even. We wouldn't have heard anything more of her. And what would we miss out if we took the few blessings that everybody receives in this life, the common grace with life and breath and provision many different ways and just said, hey, I'm happy with that. I don't want a relationship with God. Just want things. Oh, we would miss out. Well, there's one final scene in this story and I didn't leave it just to keep you coming back and we didn't leave it just because it's the highlights, the climax, the consummation of the, the love story between Isaac and Rebecca, but also because it's, it highlights the difference between the commitment God has for his chosen ones and the rest. See, over the next few paragraphs, as we go into chapter 25, we have three different groups presented here that many children of Abraham, and if you're like me, every time I go back to this, I, I remember when it first happened, I went, Abraham had other children? And, and it's sort of surprising. It's surprising that, that to us that he did because we always think of it as just, you know, Isaac was the chosen one and of course there was Ishmael in there. But it's, it's in these next three paragraphs, it sort of helps us understand the difference between those who have received benefit from God and those who are in a relationship, a committed relationship with God who's received his promise. And so, uh, you know, every one of us, we could say, has a relationship with God. Every one of us who is together here, gathered around the Word, studying it this morning, we have a relationship, at least of some sort. He could be just our God, our Creator, But then there's a difference when we think about this idea of having a faith relationship with him, a personal relationship with him, where he is God our Father. And so the question I have for us this morning is, what is it we received or are receiving from God? Is it just the benefit of of gifts, presence, or prestige? Here we are, the highest form of, of his creation in this world. 
Or are we actually children of the promise? Chosen children involved in a relationship with God. Isaac certainly was the promised child. But what we're going to see and what we're going to understand hopefully through these, this bit of a study is that Rebecca finds her way into the covenant family. This girl who lived so far from the promised land, so disconnected it seems, she finds her way into that chosen family through the son. So let's look at these next three passages, these next three, sorry, paragraphs. But what I'm going to do is change it up a little bit. We're going to go in reverse order because I want to end with Rebecca and Isaac. And so we're going to jump ahead in chapter 25 to verses 12 down through 18. And first of all, start with Ishmael. It says here, as it gives just a recap of him and his life, it says, These are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian Sarah's servant bore to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael, named in the order of their birth. We go down through 12 names that I just chop up if I were to read them all out. And it says in verse 16, these are the names, or these are the sons of Ishmael. And these are their names by their villages and their encampments, 12 princes according to their tribes. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. He breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt in the direction of Assyria. He settled over against all his kinsmen. So that's the story. We begin with Ishmael and we know about him. We remember the difficult story of how he came into existence. It was because of Abraham and Sarah's impatience and disobedience, wasn't it? It's a sad story. It's a difficult story to to go through. But yeah, Abraham and, and Sarah made poor choices and... Hagar became Abraham's concubine. She has this child that eventually, even though Sarah wanted in the beginning, she became very resentful of. And we think about this story. And we think about the injustice. But even though this all came about through human error, we see God steps in. He makes sure that Hagar and Ishmael were preserved and protected, and also would prosper. You remember what the Lord said to Hagar when she was on the run and pregnant? She was out in the wilderness by herself, and God came to her and he said, you will have a son, Ishmael. Now the meaning of that name is, is beautiful. It means God hears. And here's this woman who's been misused, she's in the wilderness, she's on her own, she thinks she's going to die, and this is what God says. He could have said, oh, she's not a part of the chosen family, but he says, no, you're going to have a son, and this is going to be a reminder to you every time you say his name. 
God hears. God hears. God hears. Imagine calling your son on the playground. (laughs) Hey, God hears. And then God talks to Abraham when things developed in the story. And he says, don't worry, I'm going to make something of this boy. In chapter 17, he says, I will make him fruitful and he will father 12 princes. Later on, he says, I will make him a nation. And here we have the outworking of these promises laid out in this recap of his life. We see this firstborn son who seemed to be a pawn in a greater story, but he develops into a prestigious and significant nation because God said he would. Because God said, I am going to bless him. He did what Isaac did even the generation before. Remember, Isaac had to have Jacob, and Jacob had 12 patriarchs. Well, here we have Ishmael. He had 12 sons himself and became a great nation. We should ask, though ourselves, a question. Is significance enough? Is it enough that we could say, oh, I've lived 137 years and I had 12 sons? You know, that would make an impact on the world, on the community. What would people, well, they had 12 kids, 12 boys, you know. Is that enough? Is it really enough? For some people, I think it is. They want honor. They want to be honored by others. They want people to look to them and go, wow, that's a a significant family. We might be honored by men, but is this enough? Is it more important that we be honored by God, blessed in a relationship with Him? I think we know the answer to that. So we go from firstborn son, which usually we think of them as being the, one, the ones who are, you know, set in a special place, to the lastborn. The lastborn children of Abraham. Let's go back to the beginning of chapter 25 and read what it says there. Abraham took another wife. This is after Sarah died, whose name is Keturah. She bore him Zimrah, Jokshan, Medah, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. There, I did it. And the son, he goes on and talks a little bit about the history of them. But then verse 6. Oh, no, verse 5. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. Isaac became, was still the only heir, the chosen one. But to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. And these are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last, died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of 
of Zohar, the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. You remember that story for Sarah. There Abraham was buried with his wife Sarah after the death of Abraham. God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled in Beer Lahiroi. And so we're surprised to see this. Six more children with another wife after Sarah, Keturah. And we think, well, why don't we hear more about these six? Why don't we remember them? But this only speaks of their lack of significance when it comes to the redemption narrative. This story about God and how he wants to have a relationship, how he's going to have a relationship with this world through the chosen family. Now this is not to say that they were not important as individuals. This is not to say that none of these children had a relationship with God But as far as being a part of the line that brought salvation to the world, they were not involved in the story. It's interesting what we read in verse 6. It says, Abraham gave them gifts. They were separated from Isaac. And as I thought about that and as I read through this, because I did have some challenges, I read through this whole passage going, Where's the application here? What is it that God's trying to teach us through this? What, are, what is the essence of this story? And as I read that line, and I thought they were given gifts, in terms of God, most people in this world today would be happy with gifts. God, just give me some good stuff. Give me what I want. Don't want a relationship. Don't want the whole commitment thing. Just give me what I want. Isn't that how we are with God sometimes? Our prayers. And fix this and take care of this and give me that. And boy, I'd really like this too. And it's not a, God, I want to, I want to serve you. I want to live in your presence. I want you to be involved in everything I do. I want my life to be Worship to you, acknowledging you in each part of it. That's too much work. You know what? It is a lot of work. In some senses, it is. But what a blessing. What a blessing to go through a normal day with the recognition that God is involved, He's there. He's with you. How significant does that make your day? And yet so often we cut it short, don't we? We don't don't do anything more than just say, God, give me this. The next thing I want. And I thought, what a picture this is. As God continues to, to develop this story, this group of people, children of Abraham. But all that's involved, all that they get are gifts. And as I was thinking about this story, about these groups, about what each one got, I I sort of thought of 
that story of King Solomon, when God offers to bless him. And all that's left is for King Solomon to ask. Ask for what you want. And they're the obvious things. You know, this is the typical three wishes and the genie sort of thing, right? But you can't ask for more than three gifts or three wishes or whatever, you know? And what does Solomon say? What does Solomon say to God? He says, God, give me wisdom that I might walk in your way, that I might direct this people for you in the way. He was saying, God, I want you. I want you to be with me so that I can do this thing that you've called me to do. I want relationship. And God says, wow, you could have asked for honor. You could have asked for riches. You could have asked for a long life. And he says, but this is what you asked for. So you get it all. And you, you think about that. You think about that. How often would we settle for riches or honor and yet God is offering us so much more, a relationship with him which is rich, comes with its own honor, may not always satisfy us in the way that our natural selves want to be satisfied, but oh, it's so much better. And this is where Isaac was. Not because he was shrewd, but because he was blessed. Because he was the chosen child. He was the one who God had promised and said to Abraham, with Sarah, you're going to have a child and he will be the promised child. And amazingly enough, this Rebecca, who lived in a whole other country, this is where she came to be as well, part of this chosen family involved in this promised relationship. Let's go back and read that paragraph. Verses 24 or chapter 24 verses 62 down to the end it says Now Isaac had returned from Beer Laharoi and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening and he lifted up his eyes and saw and behold there were camels coming Rebecca lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel. Because no girl wants to meet a guy sitting on a camel. <laughs> it mustn't be very, very grace, graceful. And said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. And then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife. And he loved her. And so Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. What a beautiful paragraph. 
What a beautiful picture of, of what transpired here. Isaac goes out into the field to meditate. And what does that mean? We, we're not really sure. It's not really clear. It could have just been a thoughtful, musing walk in the evening. Or it might have been worshipful meditation. We're not sure. So I'm not going to uh, make any points about do your devotions and you're going to come upon your spouse Although I couldn't think of a better way, a better way to prepare to meet the right person by developing your relationship with God. But on an, another thing of note here is this name, Bir Laharoi. That's where Isaac had just come from. And that is where he goes back to, we see in 25, chapter 25, verse 11. He returns to this place. And it's an interesting place for a number of reasons. Bir Laharoi is that place where Hagar was in the wilderness running from Abraham and Sarah and pregnant. It's that place where God tells her, you're going to have a son. His name is going to be God hears. And that is the place where Hagar says, this place is called Bir Laharoi, well of the living one who sees. She recognized the living God. And not only that God hears Ishmael, but she says God sees. Bir means well, Laharoi, the living one who sees. And she recognizes God's willingness. God's willingness to listen and to see what is going on in our lives. And as we think of this, we think of Isaac and how he seems to make his camp, his life, in this place, Bir Laharoi. Once again, every time he says, says the name of the place. Where are you from? Where do you live? Well, I'm from the living, the well of the living one who sees. When we think of Isaac, 40, around 40 years old, maybe thinking, you know, how am I being blessed? And asking the same questions his parents were asking when they were saying, you know, we're supposed to be a nation here and we haven't got a child. And here Isaac is, you know, I'm supposed to be carrying on this nation here and I haven't even got a wife. God, have you, have you forgotten me? No, God hears. God sees. God knows. He knows what's going on in our lives. And he gets involved. He intercedes. He intervenes. That's the beautiful thing about God. He doesn't just hear. He doesn't just see. But he's a God who gets involved in our lives. And we see that in this beautiful picture as this couple comes together. Isaac out walking. Rebecca coming on camel back and Isaac sees this lady coming and 
Rebecca sees Isaac coming out and the servant explains to Isaac what happened and he goes, I see. <laughs> I can imagine. There's a whole lot of seeing going on, but the greatest of all seeing is that God sees, that He knows. And you know, we should be, there should be nothing that makes us happier in this world than to know that we have someone who is looking out for us. Oh, we want that. Everybody wants that. They want somebody looking out for them. Disney, of course, shoots a little low. Lucky stars and fairy godmothers. That's who they have looking out for you. And they know that in this life, we want a spouse. We all want a spouse who's on our side, who's looking out for us, but that only goes so far too. But here we have a God. Our God presented as a God who sees, a God who hears, a God who is involved, a God who is looking out for us. He's on our side. Isaac had that promise. He was son of the promise. But here we see Rebekah, not even of the bloodline of Abraham, she becomes a part of the family of promise. How did she do it? It was through a relationship with the son of Abraham. How is it we can become a part of this chosen family? How can we be people who are owners of this covenant promise? It's through the son. You see, the disposition of the father toward the children of this world is reflected in his son. Especially in his time here in the world. As we think of the Gospels, we think of Jesus Christ walking through this world with a tremendous compassion toward all of the people around him. And I want to just take a moment and read a few verses from Matthew chapter 9. Verses that really communicate exactly what we see in this story. God hearing, God seeing, God getting involved, showing his love. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 27, we begin there. It says, and as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men following him, crying aloud, have mercy on us, son of David. And we, we read of other situations like that in the Gospels where the people are going, shut up. Don't make so much noise. The desperate cry of blind beggars. And what happens? When he entered the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? And they said, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. 
You see, Jesus Christ, God's own son in this world, God in the flesh, heard their cries. Not just theirs, many others, right? Go all through the Gospels, we see how God in the flesh responded to people who had need. God hears. We even go into the next paragraph where it says, and as they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke and the crowds marveled. You know what? What's amazing to me in that? God heard a man who couldn't even speak. He hears the cry of our hearts. This is our God. This is the picture that we have, well, more than a picture, in the man Jesus Christ. God in the flesh in this world. He hears. He hears. Even when we don't speak aloud. He knows our needs. We carry on reading. Verse 30. Five says Jesus went throughout the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You, you look at that, those two verses there. There's so much in there. Jesus going throughout the cities and villages. And what's he doing? What's the priority? What's the first thing he's doing to help these people? He's teaching the gospel of the kingdom of God because that is the greater need. Greater than our, our physical needs. Greater than our natural wants. His priority is a life-changing, eternal message. In the end of that verse, yeah, he's doing acts of kindness as well. That's just obvious. just happens. And so often, the people are more impressed by his miracles, by his healings, and they're going, wow, wow, wow. But the gospel, the transformation, the bringing of people into an eternal relationship with the Father, that is the priority. And I love this verse. This is the verse that led me to this chapter. Verse 36, when he saw the crowds looking at the people, how did Jesus see them? How did God in the flesh, how does he view the people of this world? With compassion. We talk about this word compassion. More than just a feeling, it's love in action. It's love that acts. Why was he filled with compassion for these people? Was it the physical healing they needed? Was it the fact that many times when they followed him, they were, they were hungry, they had needs? Poverty, was it poverty? 
It says there, right there in the verse, they were harassed. By what? They were helpless. Why? They were like sheep without a shepherd. No leadership. No direction. They were harassed by their confusion. And they probably couldn't even put that need into words. But you know what? God hears Ishmael. God sees Bir Laharoi. And God acts. Christ came into the world. Christ gave his life on the cross so that we would not be like sheep without a shepherd. That we would not be lost and confused and frustrated, not understanding this life. He brings us into a relationship as we believe in Jesus Christ. We repent of our, our sinful ways and we, we come into the family of promise. And life makes sense. The struggles of this life make sense. The hardships in this life, the confusing things, make sense. Because we understand from God's word why things are the way they are. And because we have God leading us and teaching us through his word, through the presence of his spirit in our lives. We understand the significance of our lives. We understand that we're blessed people. Let's not be content with gifts and honor in life. Let's not be content just to wander around as damaged image bearers of God when he offers so much more. Abundant life as a healed image bearer in relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. I think it's interesting. In these verses here, right at the very end, it's not just that Jesus is hearing and seeing and healing and helping and bringing people to that life-changing message of the gospel. But the very next thing he does is he sends those disciples out. Talks about the Lord of the harvest and taking this message out to others. This is what happens in relationship with him. When we become children of the promise, when we have a renewed perspective because of God's presence in our life. We become people who want to share that message with other people who see their lostness, who hear their pain and we're filled with his compassion for them as well. Let's become those image bearers, those healed image bearers who are able to share truth and hope 
with those who do not have hope in this life. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your willingness not to just hear and see and know our struggle, but you're a God of compassion. We thank you for the salvation of Jesus Christ, our salvation through Jesus Christ, through the cross, through his paying for our sin and bringing us back into a relationship with you. Lord, may we continue to understand all that we have in relationship with you. May we continue to understand what people who do not know you do not have. May we be willing messengers. May we lead them to your son and a right relationship with the creator of this world, the God of the universe, their God and true father. Help us, Lord, to walk in your way, to honor you, to show your glory in this world as we enjoy it, experience it ourselves. Amen.